Chapter Four of the Dashay Diamonds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dashay Diamonds by Richard Marsh. Chapter Four. Miss Wentworth's rudeness. Miss Strong was growing a little tired of waiting. Indeed, she was beginning to wonder if Mr. Paxton was about to fail in still another something he had undertaken. She loitered near the gates of the pier, looking wistfully at everyone who entered. The minutes went by, and yet he cometh not, she said. It was not the pleasantest of nights for idling by the sea. A faint but chilly breeze was in the air. There was a suspicion of mist. Miss Strong was growing more and more conscious that the night was raw and damp. To add to the discomfort of her position, just inside the gates of Brighton Pier is not the most agreeable place for a woman to have to wait at night. She is likely to find the masculine prowler conspicuously in evidence. Miss Strong had moved away from at least the dozenth man who had accosted her when she referred to her watch. I'll give him five minutes more, and then if he doesn't come, I'm off. Scarcely had she uttered the words than she saw Mr. Paxton coming through the turnstile. With a feeling of no inconsiderable relief, she moved hastily forward. In another moment they were clasping hands. "'Cyril, I'm glad you've come at last, but how late you are!' "'Yes, I've been detained.' The moment he opened his mouth it struck her that about his manner there was something odd, but as a wise woman in her generation she made no comment. Together they went up the pier. Now that he had come Mr. Paxton did not seem to be in a conversational mood. They had gone halfway up, still he evinced no inclination to speak. Miss Strong, however, excused him. She understood the cause of his silence, or thought she did. Her heart was heavy on his account and on her own. Her words, when they came, were intended to convey the completeness of her comprehension. I am so sorry. He turned as if her words had startled him. Sorry? I know all about it, Cyril. This time it was not merely a question of appearance. It was an obvious fact that he was startled. He stood stock still and stared at her. Stammering words came from his lips. "'You know all about it. What—what what do you mean?' She seemed to be surprised at his surprise. "'My dear Cyril, you forget that there are papers.' "'Papers?' Still he stammered. "'Yes, papers, newspapers. I've had every edition, and, of course, I've seen how Eries have fallen.' "'Eries? Fallen? Oh, of course, I see.' She was puzzled to perceive that he appeared positively relieved, as though he had supposed and feared that she had meant something altogether different. He took off his hat to wipe his brow, although the night was very far from being unduly warm. He began walking again, speaking now glibly enough with a not unnatural bitterness. They have fallen, sure enough, just as surely as if, if I had gone a bear, they would have risen. As you were good enough to say last night, it was exactly the sort of thing which might have been expected. I am so sorry, Cyril. What's the use of being sorry? His tone was rough, almost rude, but she excused him still. Is it very bad? Then a wild idea came to him, one which at the moment seemed to him almost to amount to inspiration. In the disordered condition of his faculties, 
for temporarily they were disordered, he felt, no doubt erroneously enough, that in the girl's tone there was something besides sympathy, that there was contempt as well, contempt for him as for a luckless, helpless creature who was an utter and entire failure. And he suddenly resolved to drop at least a hint that, while she was despising him as so complete a failure, even now there was, actually within his grasp, wealth sufficient to satisfy the dreams of avarice. I don't know what you call very bad. As regards the Eries, it is about as bad as it could be, but— He hesitated and stopped. But what? She caught sight of his face. She saw how it was working. Cyril, is there any good news to counteract the bad? Have you had a stroke of luck? Yet he hesitated, already half regretting that he had said anything at all. But having gone so far, he went farther. I don't want you to reckon on it just at present, but I think it possible that, very shortly, I may find myself in possession of a larger sum of money than either of us has dreamed of. Cyril, do you mean it? Her tone of incredulity spurred him on. Should I be likely to say such a thing if I did not mean it? I mean exactly what I said. To be quite accurate, it is possible, nay probable, that before very long I shall be the possessor of a quarter of a million of money. I hope that will be enough for you. It will for me. A quarter of a million? Two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, Cyril? It sounds a nice little sum, doesn't it? I hope that it will feel as nice when it's mine. But, Cyril, I don't understand. Is it a new speculation you are entering on? It is a speculation of a kind. His tone was ironical, though she did not seem to be conscious of the fact. A peculiar kind. Its peculiarity consists in this, that though I may not be able to lay my hands on the entire quarter of a million, I can on an appreciable portion of it whenever I choose. What is the nature of the speculation? Is it on the stock exchange? That, at present, is a secret. It is not often that I have kept a secret from you. You will have to forgive me, Daisy, if I keep one now. Something peculiar in his tone caught her ear. She glanced at him sharply. You are really in earnest, Cyril. You do mean that there is a reasonable prospect of your position being improved at last? There is not only a reasonable prospect, there is a practical certainty. In spite of what you have lost in Eries? In spite of everything— a ring of passion came into his voice. Daisy, don't ask me any more questions now. Trust me. I tell you that in any case a fortune or something very like one is within my grasp. He stopped, and she was silent. They went and stood where they had been standing the night before, looking towards the worthing lights. Each seemed to be wrapped in thought. Then she said softly, in her voice, a trembling, "'Cyril, I am so glad. "'I am glad that you are glad. "'And I am so sorry for what I said last night. "'What was it you said that is the particular occasion of your sorrow?' "'She drew closer to his side. "'When she spoke, it was as if in some strange way she was afraid. "'I am sorry that I said that if luck went against you today, "'things would have to be over between us. I don't know what made me say it. I did not mean it. I thought of it all night. I have been thinking of it all day. 
I don't think that, whatever happens, I could ever find it in my heart to send you away. I assure you, lady, that I should not go unless you sent me. Cyril! She pressed his arm. Her voice sank lower. She almost whispered in his ear while her eyes looked towards the worthing lights. I think that perhaps it would be better if we were to get married as soon as we can, better for both of us. Turning, he gripped her arms with both his hands. Do you mean it? I do, if you do the great things of which you talk or if you don't. If you don't, there is my little fortune with which we must start afresh, both of us together, either on this side of the world or on the other, whichever you may choose. Daisy, his voice vibrated with sudden passion, will you come with me to the other side of the world in any case? What, even if you make your fortune? Yes, even if I make my fortune. She looked at him with that something on her face which is the best thing that a man can see and tears came into her eyes, and she said to him, in the words which have been ringing down the ages, Whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. It may be that the words savoured to him of exaggeration. At any rate, he turned away as if something choked his utterance. She, too, was still. I suppose you don't want a grand wedding. I want a wedding. That's all I want. I don't care what sort of a wedding it is, so long as it's a wedding. And again her voice sank, and again she drew closer to his side. I don't want to have to wait for it too long. "'Will you be ready to marry me within a month?' "'I will.' "'Then within a month we will be married.' They were silent. His thoughts, in a dazed sort of fashion, travelled to the diamonds which were in somebody else's gladstone bag. Her thoughts wandered through Elysian fields. It is possible that she imagined, as one is apt to do, that his thoughts were there likewise.' All at once she said something which brought him back from what seemed to be a waking dream. She felt him start. "'Come with me and let's tell Charlie.' The suggestion was not by any means to Mr. Paxton's taste. He considered for a few seconds, seeming to hesitate. She perceived that her proposition had not been received with overmuch enthusiasm. "'Surely you don't mind our telling Charlie?' "'No.' his voice was a little surly. I don't mind. Miss Charlotte Wentworth, better known to her intimates as Charlie, was in some respects a young woman of the day. She was thirty, and she wrote for her daily bread, wrote anything from fashions to poetry, from fiction to our family column. She had won for herself a position of tolerable comfort, earning something over five hundred a year with satisfactory regularity. To state that is equivalent to saying that, on her own lines, she was a woman of the world, a citizen of the new Bohemia, capable of holding something more than her own in most circumstances in which she might find herself placed, with most, if not all, of the sentiment which is supposed to be a feminine attribute, knocked out of her. She was not bad-looking, dressed well with a suggestion of masculinity, wore pince-nez, and did whatsoever it pleased her to do. 
differing though they did from each other in so many respects she and daisy strong had been the friends of years when mrs strong had died and daisy was left alone miss wentworth had insisted on their setting up together at least temporarily a joint establishment an arrangement from which there could be no sort of doubt that miss strong received pecuniary advantage mr paxton was not miss wentworth's lover nor to be frank was she his the consequence of which was that her brusque outspoken method of speech conveyed to his senses whether she intended it or not a suggestion of scorn being wont to touch him on just those places where he found himself least capable of resistance when the lovers entered miss wentworth with her person on one chair and her feet on another was engaged in reading a magazine which had just come in miss strong desiring to avoid the preliminary skirmishing which experience had taught her was apt to take place whenever her friend and her lover met plunged at once into the heart of the subject which was uppermost in her mind i've brought you some good news at least i think it is good news miss wentworth looked at her a cross-examining sort of look then at mr paxton then back at the lady good news one always does associate good news with mr paxton the premonition becomes a kind of habit the gentleman thus alluded to winced miss strong did not appear to altogether relish the lady's words she burst out with the news of which she spoke as if with the intention of preventing a retort coming from mr paxton we are going to be married miss wentworth displayed a possibly intentional mental opacity who is going to be married charlie how aggravating you are cyril and i of course miss wentworth resumed her reading indeed well it's no affair of mine of course therefore i should not presume to make any remark if however any one should invite me to comment on the subject i trust that i shall be at the same time informed as to what is the nature of the comment which i am invited to make miss strong went and knelt at miss wentworth's side resting her elbows on that lady's knees charlie won't you give us your congratulations miss wentworth replied without removing her glance from off the open page of her magazine with pleasure if you want them also if you want it i will give you eighteen pence or even half a crown charlie how unkind you are miss wentworth lowered her magazine she looked miss strong straight in the face tears were in the young lady's eyes but miss wentworth showed not the slightest sign of being moved by them unfortunately as it would seem though i am a woman i do occasionally allow my conduct to be regulated by the dictates of common sense when i see another woman making a dash towards suicide i don't as a rule give her a helping push merely because she happens to be my friend preferentially if i can i hold her back even though it be against her will i have yet to learn in what respect mr paxton who i gladly admit is personally a most charming gentleman is qualified to marry even a kitchen-maid permit me to finish you told me last night that mr paxton was going a bull on eries that if they fell one he would be ruined in the course of the day they have fallen more than one therefore if what you told me was correct he must be ruined pretty badly 
then without any sort of warning you come and inform me that you intend to marry the man who is doubly and trebly ruined and you expect me to offer my congratulations on the event offhand on the evidence which is at present before the court it can't be done why shouldn't i marry him even if he is ruined why indeed i am a supporter of the liberty of the female subject if ever there was one why if you wish to shouldn't you marry a crossing sweep i don't know but on the other hand i don't see on what grounds you could expect me to offer you my congratulations if you did cyril is not a crossing sweep no he has not even that trade at his finger ends charlie mr paxton made as if to speak miss strong motioned him to silence with a movement of her hand as it happens you are quite wrong it is true that cyril lost by eries but he has more than made up for that loss by what he has gained in another direction instead of being ruined he has made a fortune indeed pray how did he manage to do that i always did think that mr paxton was a remarkable man my confidence in him is beginning to be more than justified and may i at the same time ask what is mr paxton's notion of a fortune tell her cyril all about it thus suffered at last to deliver his soul in words mr paxton evinced a degree of resentment which perhaps on the whole was not unjustified i fail to see that there is any necessity for me to justify myself in miss wentworth's eyes who on more than one occasion has shown an amount of interest in my affairs which was only not impertinent because it happened to be feminine but since daisy you appear to be anxious that miss wentworth should be as satisfied on the subject of my prospects and position as you yourself are i will do the best i can and therefore miss wentworth i would explain that my notion of a fortune is a sum equivalent to some ten or twenty times the amount you yourself are likely to be able to earn in the whole of your life that ought to figure up nicely and do you really mean to say mr paxton that you have lost one fortune and gained another in the course of a single day i do how was it done i wish you would put me in the way of doing it for myself surely miss wentworth a woman of your capacity is qualified to do anything she pleases without prompting and solely on her own initiative thanks mr paxton it's very kind of you to say such pretty things but i am afraid you estimate my capacity a thought too highly miss wentworth turned in her seat so as to have the gentleman within her range of vision you understand mr paxton very well how it is daisy is a lonely child she belongs to the order of women who were in fashion before the commercial instinct became ingrained in the feminine constitution she wants looking after there are only mr franklin and myself to look after her satisfy me that after all liabilities are settled there is a substantial balance on the right side of your account and i will congratulate you both that at the moment i cannot do but i will do this i will undertake in less than a fortnight to prove myself the possessor of possibly something like a quarter of a million and certainly of a hundred thousand pounds a quarter of a million a hundred thousand pounds such figures warm one's blood one will almost begin to wonder mr paxton if you can have come by them honestly the words were uttered lightly mr paxton chose to take them as if they had been meant in earnest his cheeks flushed his eyes flamed fire 
He stood up, so beside himself with rage that it was a second or two before he could regain sufficient self-control to enable him to speak. "'Miss Wentworth, how dare you say such a thing? I have endured more from you than any man ought to endure from any woman. But when you charge me with dishonesty it is too much, even from you to me.' You take advantage of your sex to address to me language for which, were the speaker a man, I would thrash him within an inch of his life. Miss Strong, with white face, looked from one to the other. Cyril, she didn't mean what you think. Tell him, Charlie, that you didn't mean what he thinks. Through her glasses, Miss Wentworth surveyed the angry man with shrewd, unfaltering eyes. Really, Mr. Paxton puts me in a difficult position. He is so quick to take offence where none was intended that one hardly knows what to think. Surely when a man shows such heat and violence in resenting what only a distorted imagination could twist into an actual imputation of dishonesty, it suggests that his own conscience can scarcely be quite clear. Mr. Paxton seemed struggling as if to speak, and then to put a bridle on his tongue. The truth is that he was only too conscious that he was in no mood to be a match in argument, or, for the matter of that, in retort, either, for this clear-sighted lady. He felt that, if he was not careful, he would go too far, that he had better take himself away before he had made a greater exhibition of himself than he had already. So he contented himself with what was meant as an assumption of dignity. That is enough. Between you and me nothing more need or can be said. I have the honour, Miss Wentworth, of wishing you good-night. She showed no symptoms of being crushed. On the contrary, she retained her coolness and also her powers of exasperation. Good-night, Mr. Paxton. Shall I ring the bell, Daisy, or will you show Mr. Paxton to the door? Miss Strong darted at her a look which on that occasion at any rate was not a look of love and followed Mr. Paxton, who had already vanished from the room. Finding him in the hall, she nestled up to his side. "'I am sorry, Cyril, that this should have happened. If I had had the least suspicion of anything of the kind, I never would have asked you to come.' Mr. Paxton wore, or attempted to wear, an air of masculine superiority. "'My dear Daisy, I have seldom met Miss Wentworth without her having insulted me.' On this occasion, however, she has gone too far. I will never willingly darken her door again. I hope you will not ask me, but if you do I shall be compelled to decline. It's my door as well as hers, but it won't be for long. Still, I don't think she meant what you thought she did. She couldn't be so absurd. It's a way she has of talking. She often says things without considering the construction of which they are capable.' "'It is only the fact of her being a woman, my dear Daisy, "'which gives her the impunity of which she takes undue advantage.' "'Cyril, you mustn't brand all women because of one. "'We are not all like that. "'Do you suppose that I am not aware that a person, "'be it a man or woman, who imagines you to be capable of dishonesty, "'either does not know you or else is stark raving mad? "'Do you think that I could love you without the absolute certainty of knowing you to be a man of blameless honour? I don't suppose you are an angel. I'm not one either, though perhaps you mightn't think it, sir. And I take it for granted that you have done plenty of things which you would rather have left undone, as I have too. But I do know that, regarded from the point of view of any standard, whether human or divine, in all essentials you are an honest man, and that you could be nothing else.' 
The eulogium was a warm one. It made Mr. Paxton feel a trifle queer. "'Thank you, darling.' So he murmured, and he kissed her. "'You will meet me again to-morrow night to tell me how the fortune fares?' He tried to avoid doing so, but the effort only failed. He had to wince. He could only hope that she did not notice it. "'I will, my darling, on the pier.' "'And mind you're punctual.' I promise you I'll be punctual to a second. End of chapter 4